I'm BC Williams. You're listening to Health 2049. To me, my, my personal vision is systems that they don't copy something. Why we need to copy another human? We don't believe in relationships of replacement. The worst thing that can happen, at least to me, is have a mini-me. My, my approach for health and well-being is, again, very human-centric, uh, evaluating uh, current systems and developing systems that they're relevant for people's ever-changing needs. Welcome to Health 2049. My name is Jason Helgerson. And I'm BC Williams. And together we're launching a podcast about the future of health and healthcare. Health 2049 is about ideas. Our goal is to inspire, to encourage others to see the future, not with dread or rose-colored glasses, but as a design challenge that must be taken up by all of us. We ask each of our guests to describe what they hope health and healthcare will look like in the year 2049. That's right, Jason. And by looking 30 years in the future, we give them license to dream. That said, we don't have time for Pollyannas. Or pessimists. We want their vision to be rooted in science and the art of the possible. We're also committed to diversity. We want to give people from around the world and many different backgrounds the opportunity to tell us their vision for what's possible. So join us in leaving the present behind. And embracing an amazing and beautiful future. Welcome to Health 2049. I'm BC Williams. Today, we journey into the world of social robots, a field merging computer science, engineering, and psychology, holding immense potential to revolutionize human life. Our focus today is on the trailblazing work of Professor Mary Velenaki, a leading figure in social robotics. Her groundbreaking research in haptic and immersive human-agent relationships redefines how we interact with robots, and it doesn't stop in the lab. Professor Volanaki's pioneering approach involves placing robots in public spaces, collecting valuable insights from over 600,000 interactions across 13 countries. As the founder and director of the Creative Robotics Lab at UNSW and the National Facility for Human-Robot Interaction Research, her work is setting a new standard. Dr. Velenaki, welcome to Health 2049. Thank you, BC. Oh, wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much for your kind words. I... I'm so stoked to have you on this show. And so first of all, Mary, can you tell us a bit more about your interesting background? Well, my interesting background... Uh... So I, I started exploring, I guess, spaces, uh, technology and interactions with people in, in, uh, in middle nineties. Um, my first studies was in the area of design, interaction design. Uh, my PhD was in new interfaces. And, uh, then I moved into social robotics. Actually, it's interesting. My first postdoc was at the Australia Center for Field Robotics in 2003 where I designed my first robots, Fishbird. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a mixture of interaction design, moving to robotics and retraining myself in order to be able to move to mechatronic design, uh, a technological design, and then supervise bigger projects. But I guess my background in, in interaction design before even I've moved to, to, to robotics uh, 
it taught me that in in um, human machine interaction, human machine collaboration, the most interesting part is the human. The most challenging, uh, the most uh, yeah, the most challenging. Repeat to say the least. And I think my research is still the same. When I started many many years ago, over two decades, three, I'm still trying to create interfaces and that enhance and. Uh, and improve the human experience, I guess. I think that's amazing. So I'd love if you would please share with our listeners your vision for health and wellness in the year 2049. Oh, my vision, as I'm getting gracefully older, <laughs> maybe not so gracefully. Um, I would link it, I guess, with my, with my um, involvement within the UNSW Aging Futures Institute. Uh, one of the reasons we started, uh, uh, actually, uh, credit also to Carrie Nancy, Professor Carrie Nancy, uh, who's, who is the founder and director. But uh, what I found interesting about the health space, it's, it's, it's the approach of uh, a lifelong, you know, study, a lifelong approach of how, I guess, we remain healthy and healthy physically, mentally. Yes, we change. Um, as you know, BC, even a few months ago, I had a very major robotic surgery myself, mm. but, uh, which was very, very different to the kind of robots I work or, or design. But uh, my vision is really utilizing, developing technologies that can be personalized, that they can change based on, on ever-changing needs, uh, that they expand our life space and create more freedom, that, that we can live home alone longer, we can support ourselves. So it's, it's really about enabling the everyday, uh, more freedom for the everyday as we get older and maybe uh, a little bit more vulnerable, but also technologies that change with us, learn from us and become personalized. It's not when it comes to assistive systems it's not one size fits all i mean again my my approach for health and well-being is again very human uh, centric uh, so evaluating evaluating uh, current systems and developing systems that they're relevant for people's ever changing needs also the the concept of disability for me it's something really interesting because we all have different abilities and different disabilities and different, you know, different parts of our life. So again, this, this creating shared spaces, creating uh, shared public spaces that not only expand the life, one's life space, regardless of his, hers or their special abilities, disabilities, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, but uh, they, they invite uh uh, physical and intellectual projects, safe places that people can experiment and be together regardless of their, their abilities. So how do you imagine then, like, the technological systems, right? How do, how do you imagine that they would evolve and change in the future? How, how would it be different for us? To me, there are really two things. One is you improve the technological aspect, which is important, and and you know, uh, aspects of systems that they learn, that they adjust, that, that they, they, the feedback, I guess the sensory feedback, they understand more about the environment and more about the user. So, okay, this is one part. And I think we're doing like, okay, you know, we're growing in this area. But the other part that is also, it's part of my vision, I think there's a gap. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it's it's really the the, the creative the uh, aspect the 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 personalized aspect the, the playful aspect right because mm-hmm. at the moment when we talk about health or for assistive technologies or supporting technologies there's a sense of something very utilitarian and of course you know someone it's i, I always borrow the the uh, Baudry's, uh, Baudry's uh, uh, concept of uh, the ideological and the you know mechanical apparatus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You need the, the philosophical and the ideological, and then of course you need uh, the, the technology to work. So um, I don't want to uh, undermine how hard it is to develop systems to test them, but that they actually work. Double quote, they function. But there's another kind of working and functioning, and this is the the how people perceive and experience those technologies, how they feel that the technologies don't drive them, but they, you know, they have, uh, they have authorship. They have, uh, they own them and they understand them. They're intuitive and, and they have interfaces that, that they relate to the users. And, and so it's not like another, uh, device that reminds me that my hearing is, uh, deteriorating or reminds me that my memory is not at its best but it, it's it's something that I feel there's no I guess removing say it bluntly a uh, uh, social stigma hmm. uh, so, so for me in the creative aspect like we were talking about social robotics than being uh, multidisciplinary and by definition right yeah we design systems for the people uh, so it can't be one discipline cannot do it alone but also the, the 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 creative aspect of it, the design, the the something that it can be also whimsical, regardless of the age group, is important. So so I think what we're missing is some sort of playfulness and personal personalization of this technology. So it's not only customization uh, that uh, that that people feel that really that they're happy to use. And that's, it's not just user experience. It's not something you just test in the lab. I think that's what I'm missing and that's what I would strive to see. Uh, and this, this approach, it's not, it can't be one person's vision. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a shift of how we design assistive systems or systems that they make us feel, uh, you know, provide information, makes us feel more secure in our own homes longer. Um, uh, it's almost like a uh, mnemonic palaces, uh, mm. double quotation that they trigger our, you know, we don't want systems that they remind us of what we're not good at or what we need improvement or health, but systems that they celebrate where we are as humans and, 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 and support us. I love that. And I, if you talk about this world that we're building, this future state, you talk about like, how will we move from coexistence and co-inhabitation and co-evolution. What does that mean? Co-evolution of our assisted well, this robots. Is, this is really interesting. Very interesting. Co-evolution to me that means we. It's it's almost like a much more organic approach. Uh, that uh, co-evolution to me it's as as society mm. and a society. You know, it's not just technologies there. People are there in between. Is we all co-evolve. Like to me, first of all, it has it has a more positive connotation. That means not just growth, not just greed, not just more. But but growing sometimes means understanding that that 
you need less, right? right. Or some aspects of your growth can be, you know, some could be more, some could be less, some needs to stop and some others need to be even more uh, evolved. But but it's, it's coal means to me, it, it implies synergetic, right? Yeah. It's a synergy of things and it's something that it's not forceful. <laughs> we all need to be on the same page and move together. With my vision about change and talking from a technology, society, culture, I don't believe that this is only, it's not only the university and the lab, it's not only industry, it's not only government, it's not only society, it's not only cultural institutions, it's not only politics, government, you need everything. So this co-involves different aspects of our society, you know, and it needs everyone. So to me, also the transparency, the, the societal dialogue, right? Dismystifying, mm-hmm. because at the moment it's all the AI will take over, the robots will take over. Uh, and sometimes I feel the debate, these are very important debates, right? Yes. And we need also our ethicists and social scientists, uh, you know, they, at the drawing table, not afterwards to comment. That's thus the transdisciplinarity from the very beginning. But some of my concerns is, is it's sometimes we move the debate and uh, to, to the evil machine, the evil system, the evil, uh, uh, instead of the decisions and, and, and the social responsibility we have, right? Mm-hmm. So, so it's not, it's about the bad decisions, it's not about the evil system. So I, I don't want to, although these debates are extremely important and the concerns are critical, right, that we need to address, to co-evolve, uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be afraid, but we shouldn't be also uh, ignorant or uh, optimistic in every single aspect uh, or, or, or blind. You know, we, we, need, we need not only to face fears, but we need to be brave in, in trying to understand what are the issues we need to address. I think that's interesting because one of the things also in our conversation that we talked about is, and this is from your perspective, um, you know, we don't want to replace you're of the mindset. We don't want to replace humans, nor do they need to be human-like. But explain mm-hmm. like what you mean by that and a coexistent. Would it just, in that creativity, would you imagine it would take on a new form and or would it be a new life in a way or you know, a new, a new form with its own sentience that's in service? I mean, how do you imagine that, you know, do you want a mini me? Everyone talks about a digital twin. Is that what you're thinking about? But this would be like a, a form twin of you. Okay. <laughs> that's interesting because, uh, yeah, it's, it's, of course, uh, a, I don't, that's my personal belief. I can talk only about myself and actually the people in my lab. We share, we don't believe in relationships of replacement. The mm-hmm. worst thing that can happen, at least to me, is have a mini me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't believe that we have the robots that we deserve our society. I don't believe that we are far. I don't believe that I have designed the best robots I can design. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh, and representation is very tricky, right? Mm-hmm. So although we've learned a lot, and I'm so grateful to all this amazing, like, in, of course, I mentioned Professor Is- uh, Isiguro before. We've learned so much by these pioneers. We've learned a lot with our own work. But, but still, to me, my, my personal vision is systems that they don't copy something. Why we need to copy another human? 
I, I just I, I just think it's limited. And also there's something about human physiology that it's so hard to replicate. I would be interested in, in distributed systems that they also have a physical presence because, but also they're distributed. And, you know, instead of having a robot going up the stairs, that's a very different task in a home environment. You have a physical agent, maybe downstairs and upstairs, a representation of that of that agent, right? Mm-hmm. And when I keep talking about physical, there's still a great, uh, for, for many, many of, uh, of our listeners, uh, in robotics, uh, you know, let's put Hollywood aside, as great as it is. Yeah, unfortunately, right? Because people come to me and then they get disappointed. And to many of, many of my esteemed colleagues, as soon as you have something physical, everything slows down, right? Ah, mm-hmm. If you have a digital avatar, AI, everything is faster. Digital, digital uh, gravity, motors, uh, battery distribution, everything is slower. So we have many, many years. So we have a gap here of what's physical and what's, what's virtual. So our physical systems are, I think, growing, but they're still not, 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 not quite there. And many times you have the question, why something physical? And, you know, as for my lab, for the facility BC, you visited both. Yes, amazing. It, but it's always hard for us because, of course, research around the world is based on soft money, as we know. So we love our research contracts and industry contracts. And I'm heartbroken when I have to say to people, when they come to me, and obviously we would like another contract, but I have to say, I'm sorry, you need to, why you need a robot? And then they realize they don't need a robot. So save your money. You can do that as a digital. You don't need us. You need something different, a different interface. So many times we don't need a robot or we don't need the physical representation of what a robot is, right? I think so, that's. I think yeah. that that makes sense. And so I just wanted to go back to that that idea about the robot and I'm going to ask you this question but based on what you said we can evolve this question you know but why are you confident that your vision of humans and robots moving from coexistence to co-inhabitation to a state of co-evolution can be achieved in 30 years okay I am confident I'm confident I want to be confident um I link it back to what I started before my very long uh, my my very long kind of uh, kind of background but still there's very there's something very very special like, like just to link it back to why we need physical systems right mm-hmm. yeah so yeah there are many many occasions that we don't but there's something very special and I'll go back to uh, kinetics when you have something physical that you share um, a room with, it's very different to having something virtual, to have something even. There's something about almost magical about having this physical, tactile representation of something, right? Mm-hmm, yes. So although it's not good for everything, I still think that uh, this future of robots, and please, let's not, let's, let's try to, to imagine that uh, uh, I would say the, 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 the robots of the future, de- depending of, of the use, right? So it's yeah. not one robot, one use, one system, uh, that they can look very different, that, that they can look, I would, I would, I would 
be happy with robots that they can change shape, right? Mm-hmm. That, uh, that we utilize uh, new materials that have been developed, you know, uh, distributed networks, um, uh, materials that they, they allow for, for amazing computational power uh, that miniaturize within these materials, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The neural networks that they do exist today, but also materials that they're better for our senses, materials that it's not metal or plastic or something just soft like uh, but they provide amazing tactile interfaces mm-hmm. right yes uh so so they're in robots about the future there's a lot of progress in terms of uh, we need to put them together right they're progress in ai and learning machine yeah. learning learning by uh, you know demonstration the different schools their progress in materials their progress in amazing progress in interfaces network systems uh batteries not so much yet uh, uh, motors halfway but we need to combine them together and we need also to have the creativity to me for me like a creative approach right yeah it's it's centered to this it's almost compositional so yes i think in in, in so many years it's a bit it, I am confident that if if the approach is one that it's human centric, that it's not so much human centric. That doesn't mean human centric. When I use that, it's human as a center. What's what's best for human? Not mm-hmm. and many times having many humans or bad replicas of humans or replacing <laughs> instead of creating new job, replacing jobs and you know people don't. Uh, there are very few times that we need to replace humans, and that's in jobs actually that humans should not do. Uh, right. that, uh, but there are many other jobs that is really there to evolution to me. It's also co-work with systems, not that the system that's going to take over my job if if my job is a satisfactory job, but also creating new jobs. So it's 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 a, that's why it's a much bigger conversation between government, society, universities, industry. Uh, it, it, it needs it's multi-partnered as well. But this vision of coin capitation, coin evolution, to me, it's a new compositional exercise, if you wish, uh, that that it's not a robot there, it's not a distributed system there, it's not a museum there. Look, art, museums, and culture don't need me or don't need justification, right? Mm-hmm, right. They exist on its own, right? They've been existed for thousands of years in different cultures around the world before institutions, you know? Yeah, as a need to involve and ex- experience your environment and, and, and your society and yourself. But I think that part of that aspect of uh, co-experience, co-evolution, enhancement, it's missing. I love that. And so tell me, you know, Mari, like, why is your idea and vision important? And how does it make the world a better place? I don't think it's on it's it, I think it's is it my idea and is my idea important um that time will judge I I can't judge if my idea is I'm very passionate look I don't know if it's important and uh but I but think I it feel, is I think it is I'm not the one to judge I think that I'm not comfortable of being here in you know and talking to you guys and and say this is important it's important to me if I die contributing 0.0005 of someone's experience, if a person feels more human. So, so, so to me, what's important, it's developing technologies that enhance our humanity, mm, right? Yes. And humanity, humanity, it's the core of it. It's not machines that they make us more machinic. 
It's not systems that, and it's not systems just for convenience or increase from profit. There's nothing wrong about increasing your profit companies. That's, you know, as long as we create jobs, but uh, there are other things in there. So, so, so to me, it's about, uh, we develop systems and we develop a society, but but we cannot uh, partition. This is technology. This is the AI. This is robotics, and this is, uh, you know, we can't see it only as a product development. You know what? A great product is wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, uh, right? We, yeah. we, we, I'm not against product. I'm not against the industry. On the on the very op- Opposite. You know, I always think industry needs to be with us. I don't believe in this is this is one box and this is another box. It's like we need to work together. But but really, it's it's about it's about creating systems that they're relevant. Yes. To to our current and future needs. Uh, that they learn from us, that they don't dictate us. We don't want the kind of interface that as a middle-aged woman, I need to struggle. It reminds me how slow I am and where are my glasses. And 10 years from now, it's going to be even harder. Uh, Like the situational context that we design is important, but then the learning of these systems and the ability to learn, not like a big brother, big sister, whatever you want to call it. It's like, Learning from you and protecting your data and move along with you is important in order to be accepted in our society. Otherwise, they're not going to be used. You're absolutely right. And I would love it, Mari, if you would share a bit more about how generative assisted robots can improve the quality of life for individuals with disabilities or special needs, for example. This is when I was talking before. There's not... You know what, this, this is an area we're working on and I want to see results in the next year because practically there's nothing there. It's so little. It's really? so little. Uh, so again, it's about, it is so little in terms of research. It's a lot of research, right? Yeah. But there's, I, I want to see the application. You know, the difference yeah. about this kind of work, and I say it's so little, it's not just based on lab experiments. I want to see... Difference. I want to see this system implemented with society. No, you know, it was wonderful. Uh, and thank you so much for your truly amazing introduction about my work. I hope I deserve 5% of that. It is true. Yes, we have the biggest data collection in the world from, from 13 countries in public spaces, in major museums of how cultural robotics or robots interact with people uh, in a shared space. And we've learned a lot. But you know what? No one has, including us, long-term data. You know, I want I want my system to be used to be implemented uh, within you know within users, not in experimental phase mm-hmm. for two years, for three years, for four years, and then understanding: Do they make a change? Do they adapt? Are people happier using them? So I feel that. Uh, so my my vision. For the next, let's say, five years, it's for these technologies to start being implemented outside of the labs to society via industry and government. And there's so much. For example, for what I said, I'll give you an example. Creating spaces with systems that they take into account, people like myself that I'm getting, listening to very loud music in the late 80s and 90s, uh, you know, getting progressively deaf, I'm sure. 
according to my daughter, yes. Um, <laughs> I link it back to we all have different disabilities. There's not one person who gets even middle age and doesn't have uh, from wearing glasses to hearing to to people maybe that that, that they need different places that they can uh, sh- shared social spaces that that they um, they cater for also emotional regulation Mm -hmm. and there's so many things we can do that with sound with old factory simulation with robots that they respond to people with different needs that they don't exist in the public domain that they're not the boring robots i'm sorry we don't need the robot to serve me food in a restaurant honestly yeah i mean it's entertaining it's great and also kudos to the people that they develop these systems because for a robot for a physical robot to move around to carry things to hand over things it's a lot of work right right and this work is not wasted because you know then navigation sensors grasp we can use all these things to so many areas but to me, I rather have robots that actually they don't look like mini humanoids. They're not metallic. Uh, they look more like kinetic sculptures. They can have different. Uh, uh, they they could be used in public spaces to assist people. Uh, they can have. They develop not only with. Uh, one disability in mind, but what happens if someone is blind? What happens when a robot approaches someone who cannot he- hear uh, very well? Right. Right. Uh, what other what other uh, uh, modes of communications we have there? Right. I so, love so that. to me, it's it's multi multi modes of communication. Back to communication. There's so much work about um, speech recognition. Right. Mm-hmm. It is very important, of course. Right. Or, or how how robots can communicate. But there's so many non-direct modes that we haven't explored. Right. In what ways can, you know, generative assisted robots be tailored to meet the unique needs and preferences of individual users? And are there any limitations or trade-offs in customization? There are limitations now, but if we talk about the futures, it should not. It should not. And I think and I think the customization it's beyond and personalization. I know someone will say, Oh yes, we well, can have different colors. Yeah, but it's more than colors. It's more than you colors. Can, yeah. You know, I mean, colors is wonderful. Look, uh, even <laughs> if we go 30 years ago of how wheelchairs were, used to look and how they look today and how how athletes compete with amazing uh, wheelchairs, it's an evolution, right? Mm-hmm. But it's beyond mechanics and colors. When we talk about uh, about uh, whatever devices, and, and, you know, assistive is such a big area, right? Yeah. Uh, nursing homes, there are people that with mid uh, like like with dementia that they were always right. asking the same question when our loved ones will visit again how do you have personal objects wearables that they you know for people that they, they their short-term memory is lost but they still they're still they still remember that someone is visiting but also this this social stigma and anxiety I don't want to ner- uh, ask again, they care for the 25th time uh, when my daughter will visit me again, when it's right. going to be next time, right? Developing right. systems that they can check, that they don't involve days. For example, if you say to someone Tuesday, someone in that stage, like my, my late mom, uh, does it, she would have to ask the question, when is Tuesday, what day is today for 20 times? And then she'll be anxious because she knows she forgets. 
and right. she would be anxious how many times. So from, from small things that they cater to people that they can easily access themselves, empowerment, to, to as I said, the working frames, the robotic working frames for someone that, you know, could be personalized to uh, uh, to different interfaces that they mean something. For, for example, uh, alerts. Alert is not just something that tells you, oh, my God, you're doing something wrong, but you, ha- you can have your own personalized alert. It could be something musical or ah. uh, a change of something that it's only for you. It doesn't need to be a red light or, oh, you're lost. Your house is one block away. You took the wrong turn. You know I what love I mean? that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And so, Inamara, I'm going to ask you, what are some of the ethical considerations and potential challenges associated with generative-assisted robots, and how can they be addressed? Again, it's like uh, the ethicist should be there from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, one of, of our... I guess, why do you need academia and lab? One of our jobs, it's also to make sure... Uh, that uh, working alongside with the industry, I'm not t- trying to demonize industry, but we need to advise for for uh, after uh, for, for things that are not good for us, or when it, there's a, mm-hmm. there, there are technologies that you don't want your data to distribute, or for example, in case of an alert. Uh, you have to make plan for your future. Maybe when your cognitive load declines, who do you want your information? Do you want your kids to get this information? Do you want the mm. emergency? I'm just giving an example. Right, right. Uh, who gets? Uh, and you can decide these things. And you know, the same way you decide when you when you're in a hospital, what's going to happen uh, if this goes wrong, or uh, so. So have a plan about how you want these things, and make sure again, government policies that they protect the people, right? Yeah. Uh, privacy of data is important, but then you need systems with networks that, uh, that's why I think things that they mean, the personalization is creating codes that they mean something for you. Right. So as a user, you want to use, you have your own identifiers, signifiers that mean something to you. It's not when that happens, this means, and the whole world knows. So, huh. yeah, and uh, we, 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 we have in, we have creative experience. We have playful experience. Something that is assistive doesn't have to be only utilitarian. You know what, Mary? I mean, what you know, designing the in between and designing the spaces. And you're right. Um, there's a whole ton of work to be done. And I think that you've really enlightened me. Actually, I, I, you know, thinking about what, how would you design the space? for autonomous machines, right, to meet people with different abilities. Currently, uh, it's uh, fully able bodies. And I think that sensitivity to different modes of being, of moving, of living, of, of engaging is super important. And I, my a question I have for you is, what would the world of assisted robotics look like without art? Oh, nightmare. <laughs> okay. Nightmare. I, I believe, I believe... Uh, Art is so central, you know, we, we talk about multidisciplinarity, but art, you know, we love our museums and galleries and public art, but, but art, and I believe in, in assistive, assistive systems that they also created and designed with art principles. They're going to be better systems. But I, I wouldn't like to leave or... Uh, my child or our children, grandchildren, the world to live uh, in a place where everything is utilitarian and there's no space for art. Art is in the heart of humanity. 
it's it's it for me is important that it's not only for what what we define as cultural spaces that they're extremely important on their own right on their own right thank you mary thank you for an amazing discussion well, thank you so much for having me and that was professor velanaki's vision on the future of wellness thank you for being part of the health 2049 community Remember, your health journey matters most. Stay ahead in the world of healthcare by subscribing for more episodes. Your wellness is at the heart of our mission. Until next time, stay healthy and stay informed.